0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hope you're doing well this morning. I want to talk to you about three reasons why the gospel is good news. You know, we don't... Let me ask you this question. I'll do a little survey. I haven't done this in a while, but you know, there's a whole, do you want the good news first or the bad news? You know what I'm talking about? Which ones of you are like, give me the bad news, get it over with. I'm going to take my medicine and we'll jump to the good news. Which of you are like, no, I need the good news first so I can feel okay and kind of, you know, face the bad news. There is a reality that you really don't understand good news well without understanding the bad news. Last week as I We talked about, and as you guys know, this whole series in the book of Romans is all about the simple gospel, and that's the gospel literally is it means good news. It's the the news about Jesus, but we don't understand how good it is without understanding the bad. And we're just about, the. today we're going to start two chapters of bad news. So it's going to be, I don't know, a month in this. So don't worry, this is not going to be like Judges. You can come to church and we'll walk out with smiles on our faces and all of that because we're going to talk about good news in the middle of the bad news. But nonetheless, we need to hear some of the bad news. And you know, I'm joking about this, but it really is profound. I Well, uh, after having several kids, Susan and I went with uh, into uh, the hospital when we were living in Potsdam, into the Canton Potsdam Hospital to have our next one in a row. And by then, to be honest with you, that was a little smug. I'm like, I've done this a bunch of time. I could be like, doc, just move over. Like I can, you can save the bill. Like I pretty much know how this works. You know, we got this down. My wife had pretty relatively easy labors. You know, if there is such a thing, I mean, relative, you know, Right. First baby we had, she was in labor, and, and uh, my oldest daughter was five pounds even. Like, she was in labor like an hour or something. I mean, she just like, delivered, and, and it was our first one. I'm like, well, that's easy. And man, those nurses about came out of their skin and, like, you know, to attack me like I had done something wrong. And it was like, well, I know it was hard. Like, I know, like don't, my wife knows. I love her. This was not, it was easy for me anyway. So we go to the hospital. And I'm thinking, routine. I got the routine down. I know how it goes and all of that. And she, you know, our, our child was delivered. But this one was different. When our daughter came out this time, she wasn't breathing. In fact, she was the wrong color and she was blue. And because my first daughter was born at uh, at Albany Med and it's been a week in the nick I knew and understood, you know, what's needed to take young babies, take care of young babies. And when that nursing staff pulled my daughter away and not taking her to a fully equipped NICU, but over to the corner in the delivery room, I'm kind of, oh boy. And I tell you, in that minute, my heart just sunk. And I leaned over with my wife and, my, and her hearing and just grabbed her hands and we prayed and I pleaded for God for grace on my daughter's life because I knew it was weighing in the balance with whether or not she would make it. And, you know, I have come since to realize as a pastor, I just every birth is a kind of a going through a threshold of life and death, both for mom and baby. That's just there's such a, a window in there that's just so real that we can kind of take for granted if we're not careful. Let me tell you, when that daughter of mine cried, that was really good news. I can tell you that that was better news than any of the other kids that I ever had because I had it firsthand experiencing of what it felt like to think that you were losing a child in that moment. So in all seriousness, as we talk about the good news, Sometimes we forget how bad the news is. So my real goal in this is for us to kind of soberly look at how bad the bad news is. And it's pretty bleak, folks. It's really bad so that we can appreciate the good news. And if you're willing to hang with me over these next few weeks, we'll talk about the good news. But we're going to dive into some bad stuff along the way. So with that disclaimer, read with me. and. Romans chapter one, by the way, she was fine. The nurses were just like, I think she just came out so fast. You know, she's like, didn't, you know, you ever kind of go through the water, you know, and just wasn't breathing, and she just kind of needed a little jump start in that, so she's fine and has been ever since. So read with me Romans 118. Bible says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. But they became futile in their thinking, foolish in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Paul begins to share with us the bad news. And there's three reasons here in this little passage that just why the good news is so good, why the gospel is good news to us. And the first reason is is because God is angry at all of our sin. God is angry. Sometimes people have tried to understand the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. I'm like, well, God in the Old Testament kind of has like some attitude. like He's angry, and people are getting judged and dying, but... Oh, the New Testament's so much better. Jesus is just love and roses and rainbows and loving people and going around taking, you know... I want you to recognize, guys, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He does not have an era. He doesn't have a a passing attitude. He is the same God all the way through. And yes, God is indeed a God of love, but God is also a righteous, just, holy God, which means he gets very angry and is a deep-seated angry at all sin, at all of our sin. This is Bad news for us. It's not bad news for God, but it is bad news for us because all of us are these people. We are all these sinners. Now, this is a this is not a passing wrath. This is not the kind of wrath I don't know if your parents how they were, but you know, like you did something wrong or Or maybe just wasn't even that wrong, but just, you know, like your mom or dad might blow up, but if you just kind of laid low, they'd cool off and everything would be okay, no big deal. This is not one of those things. This is God's categorically deep-seated against us kind of wrath that does not subside on its own. And it is an anger towards all sin, all unrighteousness that every one of us have done and this anger has already been revealed to the degree that it is revealed. See how the Bible says that the wrath of God is revealed? It means it doesn't say has been revealed or will be revealed. It is standing today revealed. What it's talking about is all through the Bible and all in the history of time, that the, the anger of God towards the things that we have done wrong has been clearly revealed to us. When God, Adam and Eve sinned against a holy God and it brought separation from God in them, and God removed them as an act of punishment toward them, as an act of, of, of setting a righteous standard, if you will, into this world. When, when the world became so simple, God sent Noah to save a few souls, but he sent his judgment against all sin in this world and flooded the world. When God was angry at sin with Sodom and how the individuals of in Sodom had sinned and sexually sinned and done wrong against God, that God brought judgment against them. Well, we could just go on and on and on all throughout that time that God cannot stand is angry at our sin. And we have to keep that in our minds and in our hearts, in our, our, that reality, if you will. And so it's talking about a cataclysmic, cosmic kind of against us that one day, as we know, as we have now read the rest of the story, God is going to end this time as we know it, in this world as we know it, and He is going to judge and put all sin and all sinners under judgment. And if we have not received forgiveness of our sin through Jesus then those individuals will receive eternally the punishing hand of a holy, almighty God in heaven. The wrath of God is not something to be taken lightly. I know that is not a politically correct thing. It's not a warm, fuzzy thing today. But we have to realize Paul is like, man, this is great news. God forgives us. He saves us. But that's only really good news if we understand how bad the other news is. And it's against the unrighteousness and ungodliness of, of all people. That's what chapter or that's what verse 18 says is that his wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. In other words, God holds us accountable. The junk that goes on in this world that's wrong, God holds the world accountable for that. He holds you and me, people accountable. You see, and we're we're kind of, we always work the system to our advantage. We don't want to admit it, but but we do. You probably did with your brothers and sister growing up. Well, I didn't do that. I'm not as bad as her. You know, we're kind of all good at hiding and deflecting kind of thing. But, and we all know that, you know, oh, well, God really needs to get them. Look at the bad stuff they've done. And it's easy for us to look at everybody else. But the Bible says is that God looks at each of us. And this ungodliness, the, the the picture of ungodliness here are the things that we do against God Himself. In other words, it's like the first part of the Ten Commandments. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Um, remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. There is one God. Don't have any other gods before me. Those are the ungodliness are the things that we do personally as an offense against a holy God And unrighteousness is the second half of that. It's the Holy God tells us, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do that, do this, live this way. And when we aren't so much just kind of against Him directly, but when we don't obey Him, that's unrighteousness. And all of it together is stuff that God hates. And His wrath is 100% set against us. You know, one of the things that people talk about, well, if God is really a God in this world and He really rules this world and is over it, why in the world does He let all these bad things happen? They're right to ask that question. Part of the answer to that question is God is going to judge every single one of those wrong things. Not one of those has gone unnoticed. Not one of them will get by. Not one of them will be not dealt with appropriately. What the world around us doesn't realize, and we sometimes forget, is God's just far more patient than any of us. He is wanting all of us to have an opportunity to be forgiven of our sins and not to punish immediately because if we're going to expect God to deal with those things immediately with somebody else, then congratulations, He's going to deal with them immediately with us and none of us can withstand the anger of God. And I'm grateful that He is a patient God To allow the world to continue as messy and as messed up and as wrong as it is. But to allow it to continue so that we might have an opportunity, each one of us, to be forgiven of our sins and for the judgment that's due us to instead be poured out on Jesus. That's what God's doing in this world. God sees every bit of that. That's the first reason why the good news is so good. It's good because... God, His anger is toward us and we deserve every ounce of it. But He sent His Son Jesus to come between His anger and us and to take the full heat of that and the full punishment and the full wrath of that so that when we trust Jesus and Jesus alone, we are forgiven all of it and that God's such a holy God that He can forgive us on the basis of who Jesus is and what He did. That's the first reason the good news is good news. Let me give you the second reason. second reason is because we have suppressed the truth. We hold it down. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The idea of suppression is to hold something down. Guys, when you're on a road trip and you don't have enough room in your vehicle, you have luggage and you strap it down. You suppress it. You Hold it down. You keep it in place. You don't let it just to run wild and be free. And what God is telling us is that we as people have suppressed, we have held down truth. See, truth naturally will bubble to the top. It by nature is buoyant. It's like a beach ball filled with air. You can't hold it underwater. It's going to pop to the top unless you hold it down. And the way that truth is held down is through lies, through untruth. Truth will always be free, will always come out, and has a tendency to want to push that way, unless you can cake on and weave enough of a lie that you hold it down for a time. And we as people have held the truth down. It's not that God in heaven is hidden, and is kind of like playing hide-and-go-seek. It's that he's like, I am real, I am here, and it is very clear. And the truth of that has been held down by people. Look at what the next few verses say to say to unpack that and to show that. And it says this four. Whenever you I didn't say this with the first four, but whenever you see four in the Bible, really any time when that word it's it's the idea of it's an explanation. It's therefore for, you know, because or here's what I'm trying to say. Let me explain what I just said. So, he's explaining why this truth is suppressed. It's because his invisible attributes God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the How? It's in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. From the very time that God made this world, the evidences of the existence of exactly who God is and His power and His character and His love and His beauty and all of its infinite knowledge, all of it is on full display in the world around us. And it's been clear. It's been so clear from the very beginning. You see, the world that struggles, people that struggle to really accept the reality and existence of God, they're actually individuals who are struggling to recognize and accept the The plain as the nose on your face existence of the reality of God in the world around us. And it is a suppression. Have you ever heard of something called Fibonacci numbers? I'm going to give you a little high-end nerdiness here, okay? I am not really a high-end nerdiness, but I bumped into these a few years ago because I'm kind of a down-to-earth, just normal guy, and I joined a pointing dog club because I wanted my new pup to be a good pointing dog because I wanted to go hunting, so... I was up in Knox and training our dog. In fact, I think if I recall correctly, I had uh, my two oldest sons with me there. And the guy that hosted it and invited us into his home And was a nice guy and was a retired somebody. But he was obviously a brainiac. I don't know he was an engineer or a professor or whatever, that kind of thing. And he started talking to us about these number sequences. And to be honest with you, I thought this was a little wacky. I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? And this is so like, you know, I've heard enough conspiracy theories, not just political, but like even scientific and other things. I mean, I once had a person tell me they were convinced that heaven is inside of Mars. Like, I figured it out. I know where heaven is. It's in Mars. I'm just like, what are you talking about? You know, no. I I, I hope heaven's a whole lot better than inside of Mars. You know, I don't really want to, I don't really have this outer space. So, so anyway... Fibonacci was a, a math guy in Italy, all right? If your name ends in a vowel, you know, you're either Polish or Italian. So, I mean, that's kind of the deal. So, Fibonacci was Italian. was a math guy way back in the Middle Ages. And so, he figured this out. And this is kind of something, like, even an elementary person could do. And essentially, when you start going, there's like a sequence of numbers. And you take two numbers, and you add those two together, and you get the next one. And then take those two, and you keep going down the line. So, if you start out, and you add zero plus one is one. One plus two is uh, or 1 plus 1 is 2, 1 plus 2 is 3, 2 plus 3 is 5, 3 plus 5 is 8, 5 plus 8 is 13, uh, 13 plus 20 is 13, and you just keep going on. You can keep going on to infinity, just keep rolling, right? These are called Fibonacci numbers, and it's kind of like a... I'm, not, I'm really not a math guy, so when I was starting just kind of reminding myself of this, and that's where I was introduced to it with the brilliant guy, and I've bumped into it since, I've done a little more study, but trying to dig into it, but when I see a whole page... And it's supposed to be math, and it's really not any numbers, and it's mostly letters. I'm getting in trouble. But then when most of the letters are not English letters, and the math, science people will get this, they're all Greek letters, and I'm really in trouble. You know, I'm like, it's just a whole other language, a whole other thing. And so this is where this is going down this road, but there, it's kind of like a telescoping. If you think about it mathematically, the farther you go, the distance, it's kind of like you get more of a distance between one number to the next. You're like, okay, well, that's so cool. What does that have to do with demonstrating the existence of God and God creating this world? Well, that's very interesting to ask that question because these numbers show up in nature all the time. They show up in some really amazing things like the number of petals on flowers. Many flowers, I don't know, I had botany and I hated the class, but we dissected flowers in in lab like all semester long. It's just not that interesting to be really honest with you. But the petal count on flowers, very often follow this. If you go to lilies, lilies have three petals. Now, if you're going quickly to a lily in your mind, and, no, oh, I could have shown a picture on this, I did, and I'm going to leave you to go home do it. Like, Sean, lilies have six petals. Actually, they don't. They have three petals and three sepals of the same color underneath. They're kind of unique. Go home, look it up, you'll find it. But they have three. Go to a buttercup, they have three five. No, 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 I don't want that picture. Go to the other one. Go to the back one. My son got ahead of me. So three is a Fibonacci number. Fibonacci number. Buttercups have five petals. Fibonacci number. All of a sudden you start studying daisies have these same numbers and sunflowers have the exact same numbers, like 21 and 34, not in between, like there's something going on in here that's kind of interesting. By the way, when, so we're blending not math, now into science. You start studying DNA, some of the DNA sequences come up, and they land exactly in these numbers, 34 and 55. And it starts find, you start discovering, wow, this is crazy. Pine cones, if you look at a pine cone, it's there. In a, the little seeds in them, you've probably have never done this before, because this is a little nerdy. This is the nature's my world. But you start counting the numbers of the seed pods in each spiral, and they always land one of these numbers pineapples the same way you just go on and on world the tree branches on like spruce trees will land in these same numbers as well and you're like well that's just too common to not be a coincidence i would agree then the math people in the world, and this is, I'm more a science guy than a math guy. I like to look at things, not numbers of things. But then now you go to the next slide. But then people, the mathematicians went and discovered, well, we can look at these numbers spatially. So think geometry. So the little pink and white squares, each one of these is essentially one, right? There's one square. And then they, you add those together. Now you have a two by two square. Then you add the two plus the one, and you go to the left with a periwinkle color purpley blue color and then now you end up 1 plus 2 is 3 then you add those together now you have a five-sided square then a 3 plus 5 goes to 8 then a 5 plus 8 is 13 and then 8 plus 13 is 21 and if you those that same sequence of numbers spatially begins to create a perfect spiral now what's interesting about that is that's the exact same shape of hurricanes It's the exact same shape of galaxies and stars in outer space. And go to the next slide. And it's the same exact spiral shape, because spirals can be a little different. It's the exact same mathematical ratio as the Nautilus, not the ship, but the little thing that swims around in the deep part of the ocean. And you start discovering, and I'm just seeing the the iceberg, like, whoa, this is like math and like nature all in one. And I step back at that and I say, hmm, This is not a coincidence. This is not random. This is not just strange. This is really like kind of mind-blowing, which is why when I was first bumped into it, I thought the guy was a crackpot. Like, what are you talking about? I've never sat down and counted things on pine cones. Like you really, you, you have that much time that you do that? But you go home and Google it and you start poking around. And if you're a math person, you've probably run into the thing called the golden ratio, not the golden rule. It's a golden ratio of like how mathematically things are in arrangement and all of that. And this number pops up all over the place mathematically in the natural world as well as in math. And there's some way cooler stuff in that that is beyond anything that I understand. I said all that to say this. What the Bible is telling us is that from the very beginning of time, that when we wake up in the morning and we just look at the world around us, there's enough evidence that we ought to say, wow, this is not a coincidence. This is so cool. You don't have to understand math to look at the world and say, that's a really cool sunset and absolutely amazing. You don't have to understand a lot of things to find one aspect of this world around us that we just say, wow. That is incredible. This is not just a coincidence, accident. There is something really big at work around us. Now, the sequence, now today we look at science and math and all of it, and we can study it. And when we do, there's really only two reasonable explanations for it. The science world, the high science anti-God world, wow, Darwin was right. Look at all of the amazing scientific natural things that of course, because these mathematical structures work and they work in nature, they work whether we're talking about solar systems in outer space or hurricanes or DNA or petals on a flower, that math is so cool and all this is so cool, so obviously we ought to just be so hardcore in that. That's one possible option just looking at the world around us. The other option is to say, huh, that works so well Somebody, something had to have designed that because accidents just don't happen. And see, what I just did with that is any religion that is a polytheism religion where there's multiple gods that each have their own little sphere of influence is really not a logical option. Just looking at the world around us that throws Hinduism out the door. That throws any kind of religion that has multiple gods because there is too much of a unifying structure and running and at work in this world. It's too, 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 there's something far bigger than that. And it's either just the natural processes that are just so mind-boggling, or there really is a one God in this world who's responsible for all of it as a uniform theory. And by the way, Buddhism goes out the door too because it's not just one God It is one God who is all powerful, who is big enough to do all of this. So all of a sudden, we now really have two options. If we're really trying to understand the world in which we live, either it's full-blown atheism and all the explanations of that, or it's one God that did it. All the other things in between really are not realistic explanations of God. Then as a Christian, I look at that, or as a person, I say, okay, Is there really a God or not? I look at the scientific side of it and I say, wow, yeah, natural selection and some of the things that we talk about, there's some really interesting principles and I see a little bit of it at work in the world, but at the end of the day, the whole world around us hinges upon a complete accident at a point in time. And I just sit back as a logical thinking person, like there's nothing that is that, that works that well and that complex in this world that happens on accident. In fact, I start looking at some of the other things, and I'm not a physics guy, but I, like the second law of thermodynamics and the principle of entropy, where things don't get better, they get worse. Energy doesn't go uphill. Balls don't roll uphill. They go downhill. Put a stack of blocks in your house or in your front yard and see if they're there tomorrow. They'll probably be there the next day. Somewhere along the day, that those stack of blocks are going to fall apart. We know this. We know. our you Don't go in and clean your garage. Put it in a place of order. Clean it, but then don't clean it. And what happens over that year, that 10 years, that 50 years? Things go from a state of order to disorder. They don't go uphill. They don't improve. And I start saying, boy, even scientifically, there's some things here that are just really not that acceptable to say in a closed system, there is something out here. And it has got to be a single unifying God with the power to create that. And all of a sudden, we're really down to basically the choices between Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. And I say, if there's one God in this world that's responsible for making all of us, He's probably interested in relating to more of us than one race. So Judaism becomes, just strict Judaism becomes like, yeah, I don't think that's it. And probably Islam, not as much either on that one principle. Now I would If I were really studying it and looking at it, I would look farther than that. But I look at Christianity and thought, Christianity historically has gone around the world over multiple times. And we haven't even yet cracked into the Bible to see what it says because honestly my faith doesn't land on all of those reasonings. I just go to the Scripture and it's like, oh my goodness, the truths that are in that that are so real to me. But what God is telling us is that the Gospel is so good news because we have all sinned and God's wrath is against our sin. And as people... We have suppressed the truth of the reality and validity of the existence of God in our world. And we've pushed it down. And as a result, there is a downward spiral of our lives and of our existence as a result of putting that down. You see, you truly you take God out of a family, take God out of a person's life, take God out of an organization, take God out of a community, take the, the reality of this in in, in 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 any sphere, there is going to be a spiraling free fall that happens. That's the third reason that the gospel is such good news. Look what happens when we forget exactly who God is and that God has gone to such lengths to demonstrate His beauty and His love and His amazing nature and how He works at this world because He then says to us in verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. Here's a spiral. They knew God, but they didn't honor Him or give thanks. They spiraled a little bit lower. But instead, they became futile in their thinking, Spiral a little lower. And their foolish hearts were darkened, even a little bit lower. Claiming to be wise, they even think they're wise and are claiming wise, they become fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So now they've come full circle to where, because God has put eternity in their hearts, they've got to have some sort of spiritual thing, so they invent a religion that's completely false and away from the truth of God's Word, a spiraling. You see, God's telling us that we are without excuse because He's made this world plain to us. See, there's enough evidence in the world that every person that's born and draws breath, whether they have eyes to see it or not, they have a, 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 they're made in the image of God and they're engaged in the world around us. And every person, we are without excuse because God has made things so plain in the world around us. And that means that there's enough evidence in this world that God is right to punish us. Far beyond that, for us to receive all of his wrath because we're the ones that walked away from him. He didn't walk away from us, we walked away as people from him, and the resulting spiral of this is absolutely breathtaking. I have a well at my house, actually, I have three wells, but my main well is 200, 250 feet down. And because it has sulfur bacteria in it, that kind of thing, it's kind of like your pool. I shock it every once in a while. I don't use the big tablets, that pool tablets, but I use for weld. And they're, they're kind of like a about the size of a pill that you would swallow. They're kind of concentrated, so they're really small. But what's kind of interesting is, you know, every few months I'll go out and I'll throw, I don't know, six or seven down the well just to kind of kill the bacteria before it comes up. And then I've even got treatments inside them house to take care of it. But when I drop one of those little pellets down that well, even though that pellet hits the water, I can hear it all the way down, bouncing against the metal casing of that well. I can hear it hit things. And when it hits, it's loud. I mean, it's a big splash. It's just, it's kind of like the old telephone, you know, the game, the cups, the kids, probably our younger kids don't know what in the world those things are. But those are older, no, so just humor me, kids. Ask your mom and dad, Google it, you'll find it, you know. but. It's kind of like that deal. is just so loud when that pellet hits the water. And it's just, it sounds like it's literally, it sounds louder than if I just dropped it into a cup and I'm holding, it, it's just so loud. That's what this is. This passage is the downward spiral of people and our culture and our society until it goes splat. The splat we're going to talk about next week. And it's not pretty. You ever hit a big bug on your windshield? Just, you know? Well, Verse 24 is that splat. Therefore, God gave them over, gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity because of this downward spiral of ignoring and neglecting God. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. We're going to talk about those things next week, the splat, but right now I want you to notice the free fall spiral. You see, God has done everything in this world from the beginning of time to prove that he's a good, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God. There's enough evidence that we say, yeah, there's a lot of cataclysmic destruction in the world. Yeah, some of it is, a lot of it is our own stupidity. Why do we keep building buildings right on the beach in Florida knowing that next year a hurricane's coming? <laughs> like It's just dumb, you know? Move away. We're too close. You know, there's, there's just so much in this world. Instead, we should be saying, wow, yeah, there's some bad things happening in this world, but every day that sun comes up and moves. And even though we go through droughts and seasons, there's such good things that just constantly move through in that. And it's the evidence of God. And what happens when we as people have turned our back on God, this is what happens culturally, that when we knew Him as a, as a people the one way back when, that people began, the first slippery step was to not honor God in their heart and didn't give thanks to Him. You see, go back to Adam and Eve. They knew they sinned. It was them, the two of them, and God and they knew exactly who God was. And they had kids. And they knew who that God was. But there was a slippery slope. And there's always a slippery slope. Whenever there's a family, a husband and wife that know God and have that relationship with Him, but along the way, if there's a kid that doesn't, or even them that don't honor God and give gratitude with God, there's a first slippage. The transmission's beginning to go. Because then the next step along the way is for not only do people take God for granted, but then they begin thinking wrong. Foolish thinking begins to come into their mind and then their hearts get darkened. We're talking about culture here, not just family. You see, when a a nation, there was a time when the the nation of Turkey was like 99% their followers of Jesus. It was a normal thing. But somewhere along the way, there was slippage. When they knew God, they forgot to give gratitude and to honor God. And then they became futile futile or foolish in their thinking. See, what that tells you and me is this. It is really dangerous for you and to me to not give honor and gratitude to God all the time. It's actually the first step towards idolatry. It's the first step to a complete wholesale rejecting of God. It means it's actually dangerous to be an agnostic. You see, you don't have to be against God. You just have to say, well, I don't really know who God is or if He exists or anything. And to not give Him gratitude and honor in your heart. Because then the next side, the next step is that, that changes completely our thinking. You take God out of the picture it's kind of like trying to put the, our solar system together without the sun. It doesn't work. It's the same way when God begins to slip out of that reality, your thinking goes haywire, and it, you begin coming to conclusions that are just not even close to reality. And it begin messes up people's lives and people's emotions. Then their hearts become darkened, spiritually, emotionally, a dark place. We'll unpack some of that darkness. It's why we wake up and hear the news about shootings, and why we can have wars and all of the other things, the atrocities that go on in the world around us. Is ultimately, it's because we have people turned our back on God, and we've experienced this downward spiral all the way to the point that we then even become. We claim to be wise. We say, "Oh, but I got this all figured out, folks." There are such things being thrown around in our culture today that really is stupidity and foolishness. That people saying, oh, but this is the wise, intelligent. Good thing to do. And if you think otherwise, you're just a you know hardcore or bigot or whatever. Folks, it's foolishness. It's not wisdom. That's actually how the truth of God now comes under full, complete suppression of the truth. It's covering over the validity and reality of a God who's a just, single God ruling this world. And ultimately, as people go down this road, they become full-blown, full, full-on idol worshipers. Where they, because they're made the, the, everybody's made in the image of God and God's put eternity in their hearts, they're going to worship something Atheism will never win the day according to this. Atheism will never be the main belief in the world because there is a spiral even when we ignore God that people are going to worship something and they begin creating idols, physical, visible idols in their culture and in their world. So in other words, we invent religion. We invent beliefs to cover over the fact that we've just taken and gone away the practical reality and truths of God that he's put on display in the world around us. Folks, that's the culture we live in today. That's why the world is getting crazier and crazier than we're used to. Because as a culture, those of you that are older, you lived in a world where we enjoyed more of a wholesale belief in God and an understanding of right and wrong in the world around us. And you've watched that slide. You've watched that free fall. And we are beginning to experience the splat. Today. That's why in so many cities that now shoplifters can go in and just walk out the door with all kinds of things, we're watching the splat of just people just wholesale doing wrong, and we're even struggling to even know how to get that under control in a world where it would have been easier before. So that should grieve us deeply. It should be a warning to each of us. I don't want to stay there because for us, We don't talk about those guys in church, right? This is us. This is us and our relationship with God, and we want our hearts to be toward God. So takeaways from this, parents, especially dads in the room, you need to make sure if you do anything for your kids spiritually, help them to have a heart of gratitude and honor toward the Almighty God in heaven who created them. That goes far beyond just making sure that you take them to church or youth group or whatever. Like every day, you need to live that out. They need to understand some of those realities because the first step down the slippery slope is just not giving God credit for what God deserves. That means in our own heart, we had better be giving God credit for everything in our world. And I'll be honest, I don't do that every day like I should. So I say, God, forgive me. And you probably ought to too. And we ought to double that up. But that's where it starts. How do you get lost, right? One step at a time. You don't set out to do it, but you start down that slope. The second thing that we should think about, we ought to celebrate and say, God, we ought to consciously, as we look at the world around us, say, God, you have given us evidences everywhere. And it's just so clear. And we ought not be ashamed or embarrassed about that whatsoever. And we ought not be worried about it. It's a reasonable understanding of how the world operates. It's reasonable. and We should appreciate that and we should celebrate that. It also means that we should care about people's souls around us. That rather than being angry, just angry at people's sin, like there's a point you ought to be angry, but then there's a point you stop and you let the anger go, the Bible tells us. But we ought to have mercy and try to help people to move beyond it. The world wants to just manage behavior. The world wants to just condition behavior, wants to educate behavior, wants to finance behavior, you know, and help people economically, help them educationally, help them with these things, and it'll straighten out. No. What this is telling us is that only a belief in the true God of heaven is going to fix all of this junk. At the end of the day, it's not primarily an education issue. The craziness in the world around us is not primarily a finance issue, financials. It's primarily a spiritual issue. And we as Christians should care more about that spiritual side and helping the world and the people around us because that's our wheelhouse. And God has us in this world to be a salt and light to turn that clock back. So I'm going to end with that. So give God gratitude. Believe and recognize where you should be. But turn around and help the people around us. Because this world is so confused. If you believe the truths of this, these verses, you are far beyond the vast majority of the people in the world around us. And you have hope. And you have answers. And you have a coherent, realistic reason for why the world is the way it is. And we shouldn't be without We shouldn't be discouraged and despair and without hope in that because we know the whole story. We ought to be sober, but we ought to be engaging the world around us. So let me leave it there for you. Pray with me, would you? Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. Lord, these are sobering thoughts. They're hard thoughts, honestly, to think about God. Lord, you have told us that you have given us so much evidence in the world around us that whether we're just simply looking at a sunset or' be, We're being blown away by mathematical calculations and laws of physics and and looking at this world that your fingerprints are all over it. your immense power, your love of beauty, your care for people in this whole world, Lord, is just all over us. You get credit for all of those good things. In fact, if people give you the blame for the bad things, we need to give you the credit for all of the good as well. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to have gratitude. Help us to pass that on to our generation and the next generation, as well as to the people across the way at work in our next cubicle over or in the office or riding around in the car. Help us to live out our life with gratitude and honor towards you, pointing people to hope and salvation that comes through Jesus. Lord, help us to reeducate the world as they are so darkened and increasingly so in a free fall, morally and spiritually and intellectually and just so many ways. Help us to live that out, I pray, in the world around us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.